Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll look into a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with Saturday's gun massacre in Buffalo, New York, in which 10 mostly black victims were killed among the 13 shoppers shot in a supermarket by an 18-year-old white supremacist indoctrinated by the Great Replacement Theory that Tucker Carlson has expounded on over 400 times on Fox News. Joining us is Jason Stanley, the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University and the author of How Propaganda Works. His latest book is How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, and we will discuss his article at The Guardian, Buffalo Shooting, How White Replacement Theory Keeps Inspiring Mass Murder, and how if the Texas social media censorship law is not put on hold by the Supreme Court and Elon Musk takes over Twitter, more racist hate speech will proliferate and more minorities will be massacred by assault rifle-toting white supremacists. Then, with last week's crash of the cryptocurrency market that wiped out a lot of users' life savings, we will speak with Molly White, a software engineer and cryptocurrency critic. In addition to her longer-form critical writing about the topic, she maintains the website web3isgoinggreat.com where she catalogues only some of the many disasters happening in cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and other blockchain-based projects. We'll assess why it is that gullible people use real money to buy fake money on the promise of getting rich. Then finally, we'll examine Sweden's entry into NATO along with Finland's and speak with a former Swedish diplomat who served in Moscow, Anders Aslan, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum a professor at the Centre for Eurasian, Russian and East European Studies at Georgetown University and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. A member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences, he was an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine and his books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It and Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. And before we go to our first guest, this program is completely independent without corporate sponsors and advertising relying entirely on your support. So we ask you to take a moment and visit backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or go to our nonprofit media foundation at publictruthmedia.org where you can keep us online and on the air on a growing number of stations for as little as $5 a month. Help sustain us into the future so that we can continue to provide breaking news analysis from the most knowledgeable guests at home and abroad. And we've made it easier for you to donate simply by credit card at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate, where your tax-deductible contributions make this program possible. And joining us now is Jason Stanley, the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University and the author of How Propaganda Works. His latest book is How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And he has an article at The Guardian, Buffalo Shooting, How White Replacement Theory keeps inspiring mass murder. Welcome to Background Briefing, Jason Stanley. Thank you so much for having me on, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us. And on Saturday, this 18-year-old Peyton Gendron drove 200 miles to a black neighborhood in Buffalo and went into the Topps supermarket uh, with his assault rifle. He was confronted by a guard. They exchanged shots. The guard shot at him three times, hitting him once in the bulletproof vest and then he chased the guard through the store killing black shoppers on the way and eventually killed 
the guard and then was ultimately after killing shooting 13 people and killing 10 mostly African Americans he then surrendered so you've I take it Jason have read his manifesto which is largely about white replacement theory so what's the main takeaway from this uh, 18 year olds manifesto well the manifesto borrows heavily from the manifesto of Brenton Tarrant, the Christchurch killer, uh, who, uh, but is a kind of American version of it, a deeply American version. Uh, it, it, he's deeply affected by the kind of scientific racism that spills over onto 4chan and various uh, far right networks, but also is kind of, let's face it, uh, being normalized. Uh, in some of academia today. Uh, so there's that's a difference between Brenton Tarrant uh, and himself. They, the similarity is the sharing of the fascist ideology, the white replacement theory, uh, the belief in a strong racial difference, which in uh, Gendron's manifesto fuses with the American anti-black racism uh, that black people are genetically uh, less intelligent and genetically disposed to, to crime uh, to motivate immense violence against them. Uh, and it's linked in Gendron's case with a much more explicit and virulent anti-Semitism. He represents uh, Jews as the global elite who are trying to uh, pit non-whites uh, against whites to overthrow whiteness and then take over. And the Jews, uh, that he devotes 29 pages of his manifesto to blaming white replacement on the Jews. And we all remember, of course, from the... Tree of Life Synagogue. No, no, I'm trying to think of it. The Charlottesville, Virginia confrontation where American Nazi Tiki Torch marchers were shouting in unison, the Jews will not replace us. So the Jews are being blamed for immigration in, in in short, right? Yes. And so, critical race theory as well. Yes. So he 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 fuses everything together uh, in a way that's already being fused together and normalized by essentially the Republican Party, uh, which is that, uh, you know, the Frankfurt to the Jews in the Frankfurt School. He doesn't mention the Frankfurt School explicitly, but he explicitly says Jews are spreading critical race theory to try to make whites feel shameful and guilty about the about the uh, about themselves. So that's very similar to what's being broadcast daily from Fox News that the Frankfurt School Jews in the Frankfurt School have brought critical race theory to the United States to try to sort of undermine America from within. Uh, so uh, so that's amplified and made more explicit. Um, so what you have is a sort of more amplified and explicit form of different elements that are that are being normalized by the Republican Party uh, and and various uh, elements uh, in in normal civil society like academia uh, and made much more explicit. Uh, if if black people are genetically uh, disposed towards crime and are less intelligent as this uh, this killer claims. Uh, and and Jews are pushing to replace white society with immigration uh, and uh, and to increase fertility rates among black people. He's obsessed with fertility rates as as the other mass killers were before him. 
then uh, then that motivates a mass killing of black Americans. And you and Jason Stanley, you mentioned the 2015 Tree of Life synagogue killings in Pittsburgh. That shooter was explicitly concerned about immigration coming across the southern border from Mexico, all of which was, was stoked by Donald Trump. That's as clear as day what he was up to, right? In other words, because the synagogue had a program to help refugees, he tied that together with white replacement, in this case being replaced by Hispanics as opposed to blacks. That's right. So so if you, you this this idea that Jews or another sort of global elite are trying to destroy national identity by uh, mass immigration and promulgating minority votes and support within the country runs through the whole 20th century. Uh, so, uh, so the Ku Klux Klan, uh, what was it's the ideology of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Hitler admires the United States and Mein Kampf because of its powerful immigration laws that highly restricted non-white uh, and Jewish immigration. Um, so, so this is uh, this is both deeply had this this ideology both has deep historical roots in the United States uh, and is being uh, and is an international far right white ideology uh, that you're seeing across Europe, uh, United States, uh, and and other countries as well. And again, I'm speaking with Jason Stanley, the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University and the author of How Propaganda Works. His latest book is How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, and he has an article at The Guardian, Buffalo Shooting, How White Replacement Theory Keeps Inspiring Mass Murder. And as you point out in your article, Jason, the continuum, of course, is 2011, you have uh, Dylan Roof's mass a murder of black churchgoers well, in Charleston, and then the Tree of Life in that we mentioned in 2015, and then in 2018, the murder of 23 people, mostly immigrants in El Paso, Texas. So the beat goes on, and let's talk about who's propagating these disgusting theories. And the person who comes to mind mostly is Tucker Carlson on Fox News. New York Times did a very in-depth study. They looked at all of his programs, and they found that 400 programs in the last few years have been devoted to white replacement theory. So what's happening over at Fox? Is there any, and amongst the Republicans who echo, who are part of the kind of echo chamber, any sense of that this is being linked? Are Fox talking about it in terms of who's taking responsibility? Uh, no, no one's going to take responsibility. And it's a grand experiment, right? I mean, those of us who study uh, these phenomena and mass violence against minority groups, uh, it, we, we're taken aback by this because to have such an extremist ideology normalized on such a grand scale is breathtaking. Uh, now, Tucker Carlson would never mention Jews. Uh, explicitly, but there are many dog whistles. That, but any anti-Semite, any right-wing anti-Semite, will understand him as targeting Jews. That doesn't mean that he is explicitly targeting Jews, but it means that every single right-wing anti-Semite, when he goes after George Soros, when he pushes white replacement theory, will hear Tucker Carlson as attacking Jewish people. Uh, so he is uh, strengthening anti-Semitic ideology, even though he is not mentioning Jewish people. Uh, of course, he has many Jewish followers and supporters, uh, but those Jewish followers and supporters 
are literally supporting uh, right-wing anti-Semitism in the United States. Uh, let me add another thing, which is this idea that this uh, linked to the mass normalization of uh, of this ideology of white replacement theory. Uh, people call this shooter, this mass killer, deranged. Uh, but I've looked at his at, at his manifesto, and it's a carefully calculated manifesto. He's buried deep uh, into uh, a social identity that is partly constructed out of the violent 4chan far right, uh, but obviously legitimated by the wide circulation of, say, scientific racism uh, and the wide circulation of great, uh, great replacement theory. He never mentions Fox News. He no doubt regards Fox News as not hardcore enough. Uh, but this is not someone who's deranged. Uh, this is not someone who's deranged. The, uh, 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 the philosopher Wittgenstein uh, sees, sees identity, sees rationality as rooted in a search for community. Uh, we are creating a community uh, identity surrounding white replacement theory. Uh, and that's going to result in, uh, in, in vigilante violence. And eventually, uh, once those uh, who take those respond, those who have normalized it take over mass state violence. So this character, Gendron, he also, of course, as your article points out, Jason, he argues for the genetic basis of the racial IQ gap. But that's also what Tucker Carlson does, albeit somewhat less obvious and less explicit, but still in code. He keeps talking about it. He seems to have a real problem with black women. And even the new justice on the Supreme Court, who, who was absolutely sharp as a tack and serene and dignified as she was assaulted by these disgusting Republican senators, you know, he's now going after the new black White House press secretary, who he refers to as being dumb. So it seemed to me that that's evidence as well of not just the white replacement theory, but also this racial IQ gap. But let's talk a little bit about the role of social media in all of this. Google did take down the manifesto and he, he live streamed the massacre on some right wing site. But here we are in an era where Elon Musk is about to take over Twitter, at least it seems so. And he, the first thing he'll do is put Donald Trump back on. But the most pernicious thing of all is this new uh, law in Texas, which was blocked last year, but then it was reinstated by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Wednesday. And it makes it illegal for any social media platform with 50 million or more U.S. monthly users to block, ban, remove, deplatform, demonetize, deboost, restrict, deny equal access or visibility to or otherwise discriminate against expression. In other words, this is the anti-woke law that Texas has passed. Now, the group of lobbyists for the tech industry are trying to lobby the Supreme Court to put this on hold. And just to quote from their argument before the Supreme Court or petitioning the Supreme Court, Texas HB 20 strips private online businesses of their speech rights, forbids them from making constitutionally protected editorial decisions and forces them to publish and promote objectionable content. Well, in other words, we're heading in an even worse arena, aren't we, than the one that inspired this shooter in Buffalo? Well, yeah, you're asking a rhetorical question. 
yeah, the 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 uh, the more what these far right what the goal of this movement is is a is a sort of threatening, violent, authoritarian takeover, uh, and they're using white replacement theory and similar conspiracy theories uh, in order to do that. Uh, so to, they spread these 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 conspiracy theories that are again baked into Amer the American past justify the idea that America is a fundamentally white country, and so non-white votes are not legitimate. So uh, so that's the ultimate goal. Now, what you need in a movement like this are both you know uh, diehard believers and actors of the sort that Peyton G Gendron, Gendron uh, was, and then you need sort of more respectable figures. Who can say, oh yes, you know, maybe what I said would lead you to believe that America is a white Christian nation and with white Christian traditions, and only white Christians are legitimate voters. Uh, but I never said that. <laughs> so, uh, so they have plausible deniability. So these figures want to get all the. They want to enable mass harassment of people on social media to make social media more difficult to use uh, for those who don't share that ideology. Uh, and they want to destroy the information space. So we're familiar with this from, from Russia. This is what happened in Russia for many years. Uh, it was impossible to know what was true and what was not true. Uh, and once you do that, the only sort of person who can speak is sort of the political leader. That's how authoritarianism works. So the only person who matters was is Putin, because everyone else, nobody knows what's true. Uh, so I, I see that as the near-term goal uh, of legislation like that, to allow mass harassment of progressive liberal journalists, academics, public figures, and to spread conspiracy theories to destroy reality uh, and, uh, and to, to foment uh, violence, vigilante violence, and to justify state violence uh, against non-white targets. But specifically, they will be this anti-woke legislation from Texas, which is going to be borrowed by a lot of Republican states. And if the Supreme Court doesn't step in to block it, as the big tech companies are asking them to do, this will mean that more people like this character in the Buffalo shooting will be influenced by this toxic stuff online. And people like Elon Musk will readily propagate it. So... That's my concern. I don't have a lot of faith in the Supreme Court. I mean, we have now Clarence Thomas dismissing concern over the loss of reproductive rights in this country as a liberal tantrum. And I'm sure that's the way they see what's happening now with people's outrage over what, what happened in Buffalo. The Supreme Court is a far-right Republican uh, 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 authoritarian institution whose goal is to destroy democracy and turn black back the clock in the United States on progress for decades uh, and to facilitate the destruction of democracy. So no, you're not gonna get any help from the Supreme Court on this for a long time. And I think the, the, the role of these billionaires is to destroy democracy uh, to, to, because democracy uh, places limits on what they can do. And, these super powerful billionaires, they think it's, you know, only a loser would let some guy from Oklahoma or or uh, or, or a woman from New Jersey uh, vote to constrain their power. So they want to destroy democracy and they see this as the way to do it. Uh, and uh, and it's not clear what what or who will stand in their way. So 
Are they happy with uh, the idea of civil uprising, racial strife? Uh, I, I think they want to exploit, they want to split the rest of us who aren't oligarchical billionaires apart and set us against each other uh, so that there's, they want to make sure democracy is dysfunctional so there are no rules on them. Uh, and if there's no rules on them and we're just facing off against each other, uh, then they're free to do what they want. I mean, how else do you explain Peter Thiel, a multi-billionaire uh, who's LGBT, sponsoring politicians who push anti-LGBT legislation? Um, because he just thinks, you know, he's exploiting the rubes. Uh, you know, uh, he's exploiting the rubes, what he regards as the rubes, uh, and he's going to destroy any sort of functioning democratic institutions that constrain the power of someone like him. Uh, and hopefully the United States, those of us who are not billionaires, uh, can can wake up uh, and 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 realize that that we're together in this fight of defending democracy uh, against its sort of utter destruction. But just in closing, Jason, do you think that Peter Thiel and and also Tucker Carlson, who's who's not your tattooed redneck racist, but a more genteel white privileged racist coming from a very wealthy family of inherited wealth. Together, they are essentially toying with a race war, which is what a lot of these far-right groups are, are wringing their hands over the prospect of. That's right, because for them, race race is always about power. It's about It's a tool the powerful use to divide the working class. Uh, originally, both in the United States and in Nazi and, and in Germany, it divided. It was the tool that was used to destroy the labor movement, union, the formation of unions. Uh, it's it's it. That's why you can get people who aren't racist at all. You can get people who are who are gay, uh, uh, sponsoring uh, racist legislation, racist politicians, anti-LGBT legislation, because it won't affect them. It's all about destroying. It's all about you know, taking advantage of people with racist views, taking advantage of people with LGBT views, you get you what you do uh, is you get you you finance politicians who will cut your taxes uh, and in return will uh, will feed to the people who you regard as rubes, uh, uh, race people who are inclined towards racism or homophobia, uh, sort of red meat uh, culture war stuff. Uh, and so while you're picking their pockets, um, so uh, so that's what's going on. And they don't care if the country burns uh, as long as their money is not taxed and their wealth is, and, and actions are not constrained. That's why they become so furious when they see a fellow billionaire being constrained in the way that Twitter has constrained Donald Trump. Well, Jason Stanley, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks so much, Ian. And again, I've been speaking with Jason Stanley, who's the Jacob Uraski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University and the author of How Propaganda Works. His latest book is How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And he has an article at The Guardian, Buffalo Shooting, How White Replacement Theory Keeps Inspiring Mass Murder. We're going to take a brief station break and back looking into last week's crash of the cryptocurrency market that wiped out a lot of users' life savings. Oh, 
clucks, man, see that we all brothers Not cause things the same, but cause we lack the same color And that's gray, now that's man Can't burn his cross, cause he can't afford the gasoline Now if a Muslim woman strapped with a bomb on the bus With the seconds running, give you the jitters Just imagine an American-based Christian organization Planning the poison water supplies to bring the second coming Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Molly White, a software engineer and cryptocurrency critic. In addition to her longer-form critical writings about the topic, she maintains the website web3isgoinggreat.com, where she catalogues only some of the many disasters happening in cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and other blockchain-based projects. Welcome to Background Briefing, Molly White. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, last week, cryptocurrencies tanked. Terra Luna fell by 99.99% in a week. Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, and Solana were all down double digits. Bitcoin was down 58%, and Ethereum down 60%. A lot of people lost their life savings. Some are contemplating suicide. The country of El Salvador, whose authoritarian crackpot president, put his entire country on Bitcoin. Uh, They're likely to default on their debt. So why is it that people have been conned into spending real money on fake money? I think that there has been a fairly convincing effort to convince people that uh, cryptocurrencies are investments rather than sort of a risky gamble uh, with money that, you know, you can afford to lose. And so people have been buying this story that you can get massively wealthy off of uh, putting your money into cryptocurrency, which, you know, was true for some people in the sort of late last year, beginning of this year, when cryptocurrencies were on a bull run. There were some people who made some money in it, although people still lost money then as well. But I think, you know, we're seeing that the enormous amount of volatility in cryptocurrency uh, can really result in some devastating um, circumstances for people who put too much money into it. Well, apparently, just as last week, there have been a number of crypto billionaires. Uh, There's one called Sam Bankman-Fried, who's companies based in the Bahamas, FTX, he met with the uh, Problem Solvers Caucus uh, in the house, obviously trying to get his product into the mainstream. And apparently there's been warnings from the Labor Department against financial advisors and other fiduciaries putting cryptocurrency into 401k retirement plans. Fidelity Investments uh, was attempting to do just that. And Senators Warren and uh, Tina Smith have asked Fidelity to explain why they're offering such incredibly risky assets as long-term retirement investment plans. So is this just about a bunch of clever marketers? I mean, what's driving this? I mean, I think some people are very interested in very risky investments. And so I think that there is, you know, a market for that. 
Um, but I do think that a lot of what has uh, contributed to crypto's sort of um, mainstreaming as an investment uh, has been marketing on the behalf of, you know, cryptocurrency exchanges, uh, large investment funds, venture capitalists, um, and some of the sort of powerful players in both finance and technology who are, you know, they have they have strong investments in cryptocurrency and they are very motivated to market it to the wider public. So tell us about this crypto product called Tether, which is a so-called stable coin, which is supposed to be pegged to the dollar. It also went down. My understanding is that if it fails altogether, the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem could go along with it. Yes, there is an enormous amount of risk involved with Tether, and so much of the cryptocurrency ecosystem depends on it in some way or another that if Tether were to fail, uh, I think we would see just an absolute you know, devastating effect on much of the cryptocurrency uh, ecosystem and potentially ripple effects into traditional finance as well. Um, and Tether you know, is one of these stable coins that is ostensibly asset backed. So originally they claimed that they had one-to-one -one reserves to back all of these Tethers that they have issued um, with each Tether supposedly representing one US dollar. They've since backed off of that claim somewhat, especially since the New York uh, Attorney General has, uh, you know, challenged them on it. And they basically agreed to pay a fine rather than producing the evidence that they are backed as they claim. Uh, so I think it is sort of an open secret in cryptocurrency that that uh, Tether is not fully backed and, and is actually very vulnerable to a bank run. So in other words, it's a similar situation now to what happened with the stock market in 2008 when it got overheated but at least then it was still backed by real estate but this overheated crypto market is really not backed by anything except promises right or in some cases very um you know assets that themselves are very volatile in some cases other cryptocurrencies or you know there's um quite a bit of speculation that there is basically chinese uh real estate commercial paper you know and so if if there is an issue in that market it could potentially also affect reserves of um, projects like tether so how did people like this character in the bahamas this billionaire who's trying to sell uh, crypto to the Congress, or at least to the Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. How did they become billionaires? Um, I mean, there's a lot of money in crypto if you can become one of the powerful players. So, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried runs FTX, which is a major cryptocurrency exchange, and that's a, a pretty lucrative spot to be in. Um, you know, there are a lot of other exchange, you know, founders of other exchanges like CZ of Binance and, and various others who have made an absolute killing um, by, you know, promoting cryptocurrencies, by buying in uh, early to a lot of these projects and, you know, basically reaping the rewards. And again, I'm speaking with Molly White, a software engineer and cryptocurrency critic. In addition to her longer-form critical writing about the topic, she maintains the website web3isgoinggreat.com, where she catalogues only some of the many disasters happening in cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and other blockchain-based projects. So let's talk about web3isnotgoinggreat.com, which is obviously a somewhat ironic title. What's Web3? Web3 is sort of the idea that the 
the web as we know it is going to be replaced with technologies that are all built around these blockchains and cryptocurrencies. Um, so the idea is that, you know, if you were to post to a social network or something like that, that social network would be built around this technology um, that is currently mostly used for cryptocurrency speculation. And this is how... <laughs> How is it going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say it's not going so great. Um, you know, I created this project because I was seeing just, you know, case after case after case of uh, projects either getting hacked or people getting scammed or things just going incredibly badly in Web3. Um, while on the other hand, you know, I was hearing people talking about how this was the future of the web and everyone was going to be using cryptocurrency in a few years. And, you know, this is going to revolutionize technology. Um, and those two things felt very um, incompatible to me. And so I started this project just to try to highlight what I was seeing. And doesn't cryptocurrency require an enormous amount of electricity? I'm just thinking in terms of environmental impacts. It seems that that it requires a massive amount of computers and therefore a lot of energy. Yeah, the two major cryptocurrencies today are Bitcoin and Ethereum, and both of those are based on a system that does require an enormous amount of electricity. It's on, you know, on par with some small countries, the amount of uh, current, uh, electricity that's currently used by Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, it's enormously inefficient by design. So what is it then? What is the crown jewels here in terms of this infrastructure? Well, it depends who you ask. I mean, I think a lot of the attraction is that some people think that they can make it enormously wealthy um, based on this technology. As far as the actual you know, technological promise of blockchains, uh, it doesn't offer anything too particularly new. I mean, it, you know, there are a lot of claims around how Web3 could be decentralized or, you know, it could be, um, you know, users could control their own data rather than giving it to Facebook or Google or, you know, other big tech companies. Um, but I think that, you know, most of those promises, if, if people truly believed in them, um, don't actually require a blockchain and could be achieved in much more reasonable ways. Um, but, you know, those reasonable ways also don't necessarily have this crypto asset attached to them that has been drawing all of this attention because of the, uh, the you know, potential to make a lot of money. Well, again, I've always been mystified why anybody would use real money to buy fake money. And clearly there has been a lot of people that have fallen for this dream of getting rich quick or whatever the dream, whatever the dream is. But last week it became a nightmare for a lot of people. Do you have any idea? I mean, Reddit's full of people basically having lost their life savings, some are contemplating suicide. How widespread? How many people took a, took a bath last week? Do you know? I don't have any uh, strong numbers on it, but basically everyone who had invested in either Luna or had tried to store their money in the UST stablecoin lost a lot of money, um, if not all of their money last week. And Terra Luna was one of the top 10 cryptocurrencies. It was not a small cryptocurrency. Um, they say something like $45 million, I believe it was, uh, was wiped out of the Terra Luna market cap last week. And the others, what happens with Bitcoin? Where is it now? Um, Bitcoin, I think, has recovered a little bit, but is still 
doing much, you know, very poorly compared to how it was towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year. Um, so people are still having a pretty rough ride. I mean, I think, you know, El Salvador, you mentioned, is, is pretty underwater with their Bitcoin investments. Um, I believe everyone who bought into Bitcoin last year is in the red at this moment. And, and do we have any idea of how many people that is? Again, it's very difficult to estimate. Um, some surveys have tried it, but because wallet cryptocurrency wallets are not necessarily one-to-one -one with specific individuals, it's difficult to get a good idea of how many people are actually engaging with this regularly. So the only good news is that crypto was a perfect vehicle for money laundering and drug dealing, etc. So I guess you could say the good news is that maybe it's hurt that market. Potentially, although, you know, when you're stealing money, I think if it loses value, it maybe isn't so uh, impactful. I don't, I don't, my heart doesn't hurt too much for the, uh, this, you know, the drug dealers and the ransomware folks too much. Right. Well, that's, you just mentioned ransomware, which of course is facilitated by Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. And that's absolutely pernicious and disgusting that they shut down hospitals and steal vital data in order to extort money. So um, everything about it, to my mind, has been rather sleazy. And I just again, just in closing here, Molly, I'm just astounded. Uh, so many people have been attracted to this, what looks like, again, there's no logic. Using real money to buy fake money. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of painful to watch because, you know, there are real people getting hurt from this. But I think it's been, again, a very uh, successful marketing campaign that people have been able to convince, you know, the general public that this is actually a way to make money. And in some cases, that it's a responsible way to make money, which I think is a ridiculous claim. Well, I thank you for joining us here today, Molly White. Thanks for having me. And again, I've been speaking with Molly White, who's a software engineer and cryptocurrency critic. In addition to her long-form critical writing about the topic, she maintains the website web3isgoinggreat.com, where she catalogues only some of the many disasters happening in cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and other blockchain-based projects. We're going to take a brief station break. We're back examining Sweden's entry into NATO, along with Finland's. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Anders Aslan, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Center for Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies at Georgetown University, and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, a member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. He worked as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and served as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine. And his books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It, and Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. Welcome to Background Briefing, Anders Asland. Thank you very much, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us, Anders. And you were recently in Sweden, where Sweden is now asked to become a member of NATO. It'll happen either in the next day or so. The Social Democrats dropped their 73-year opposition to joining NATO on Sunday. And already Putin has said... As for the expansion, he was speaking before a forum of his former Soviet states, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Armenia, and Kyrgyzstan. Putin said today, Monday, as for the expansion of NATO, including through new members of the alliance, Finland and Sweden, Russia wants to inform you that it has no problems with these states. But then he went on to warn that, quote, the expansion of military infrastructure on this territory will undoubtedly cause us to respond. And in turn, a Swedish prime minister says that Sweden does not want permanent NATO bases or nuclear weapons on its territory. 
if its membership is approved. So what do you make of Putin's change of tone? Well, I thought most of all, uh, President Putin today sounded tired. It was as if I have to say something, what can I say? And then I don't want to give away the shop. So I say, okay, I might come back and do something nasty to them later. I see. So what about the uh, idea of, I mean, Sweden doesn't have a border, but Finland does, right, with Russia? Yeah, but what is sensitive for Sweden is uh, uh, the island of Gotland. Who controls Gotland essentially controls uh, the, the Baltic uh, Sea. And in its appeasing wisdom, uh, the Swedish government uh, 16 years ago demilitarized Gotland. If you have a, a strategic asset, you don't demilitarize it. So all of a sudden there were no uh, military installations whatsoever uh, on, on Gotland, which was... Uh, straightforward folly out of uh, the idea of uh, eternal peace. And uh, since a few years uh, back, uh, Sweden has uh, some military uh, back on uh, on Gotland. But the broader idea is that uh, Gotland needs to be covered by uh, NATO air defense. So what then is, is Finland going to do in terms of the border they share with Russia? It's been pretty porous. Are they going to uh, put more troops on that border? Because as it happens, because the war for Russia is going so poorly in Ukraine, they're grabbing all the soldiers they can get. They're taking uh, troops away from the border on the Baltic states, where NATO is actually conducting an exercise beginning today with the Baltic states. So what do you expect to see on that border between Finland and Russia. It's about, what is it, 800 miles long? Yeah. Uh, the Finns have all along been very serious. They spend 2% of the GDP on defense. Sweden only spends 1.3% of uh, GDP on, uh, on defense. And Finland has all the time had conscription. They have a large land army, and of course the Finns fought two wars against the Soviet Union in 1939 and 1941 to 44. So, so the Finns are tough, and they are always prepared to stand up and fight. While you can say that the the Swedes are peaceniks, since Sweden has not participating in the real war since uh, 1815, that is uh, the end of uh, Napoleonic uh, uh, wars. Uh, and Finland are all prepared uh, on all fronts, and it was Finland who drew this uh, process while uh, Sweden uh, followed. In Sweden, uh, there were five non-socialist parties in, out of uh, a total of eight parties in the parliament that uh, have been in, in favour of joining NATO for quite some time. And now the biggest party, the Social Democrats, which uh, holds the government, minority government, they um, decided to move uh, along. Within the Social Democratic Party, it was very much uh, the Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson who drove the process, and she has not been involved at all in security policy before. Therefore, it was so obvious what needed to be done uh, to her. 
um, while the old hands in the Social Democratic Party, so I'm talking about former ministers in their 80s or so, they were all against it. And they have been quite uh, vocal and saying this is against our uh, traditions, etc., with arguments that were not very much up to date. Well, ironically, though, it seems to me, Anders, that it's because Putin runs a kleptocratic state, a mafia state. Isn't that largely why his military are doing so poorly? Because they've been hollowed out by corruption, the Russian military? Indeed. Uh, you, you can say that there are two reasons uh, why Russia has been doing so poorly. Uh, uh, the main one, as you said, is complete corruption. Everybody has been selling whatever they uh, they could, and therefore Russia does not have much of a defense. Uh, everybody all of a sudden realized. The other reason is that uh, uh, Putin thinks that he's a genius, uh, and uh, therefore he needs to decide everything himself, although he doesn't know anything about uh, military uh, matters. So he has made all the mistakes you can make in the book, and uh, the corruption has done the rest. And again, I'm speaking with Anders Assen, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Center for Eurasian, Russian and East European Studies at Georgetown University, and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, who worked as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and serves as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine. So your piece at the Atlantic Council, Anders Aslan, Western Advocates of Appeasement Need a Crash Course in Putinology, you're saying here that what so many people over here are talking about and in Western Europe as well, you know, please don't provoke Putin. You think that that's actually counterintuitive, that Putin has, I just quote from your article, Putin has started an unprovoked and unjustified war, but it is the West that must not provoke him, you asked rhetorically. I mean, the notion that the West must allow Putin to save face, really? Putin is no gentleman. He wages war of aggressions and ruthlessly orders the destruction of cities. The West cannot compromise over crimes against humanity on this scale. On the contrary, Putin must be defeated. The only language he understands is the language of overwhelming strength. So there is no other choice as far as you're concerned and as far as you see, Anders. Indeed, and uh, I... Uh... Uh, you know, I've worked uh, for three years as a, as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and then for three years as an economic advisor to the government. And there is one elementary uh, thing that you learn uh, dealing with Russian officials. They always escalate. And the only thing they uh, respect if you uh, escalate back. So uh, a normal, tough discussion at a high level in, in Moscow. It's hitting hard, and the other side uh, hits also hard, and then you go on and on and on until you reach a climax, and bo both sides see where they really are, then you stop. And then everybody's happy, you come to an agreement, uh, but you must understand that this is the game that the Russians are playing, and this is not a choice. Uh, th this is what you have to do if you are to be taken seriously in Moscow. I saw so many people who did not understand that this is the game 
So they were trying to be nice. Perhaps I can do something nice to this person. Okay, they were taken out and uh, not invited back. So Putin, of course, has been destabilizing and weakening Ukraine, certainly since 2014. And prior to that, he, he had his uh, surrogates in there like Yanukovych and his model of gangster government, which is what what you have in Belarus and in many of the former republics as well. So that's the model that he offers. And, and you're arguing that, of course, he sees a democratic Ukraine as an existential threat to his form of governance and that he f- wages wars in order to distract people from the wholesale looting of the country by him and the, the oligarchs. And essentially everything the oligarchs own, Putin owns. And, and you've written about this in your book, Russia's crony capitalism, the path from market economy to kleptocracy. So Putin could continue to destabilize Ukraine indefinitely, couldn't he? Unless he's driven out of all of the country, whatever he holds, he's already got most of the Sea of Azov, and now he, he wants to get the Black Sea coast and make the country landlocked and incapable of exporting and therefore strangling it. So I guess, to your mind, the only answer here is for the Ukrainians to drive Russia out of their country entirely. And how are they going to do that? Exactly. You get me completely right. And there is one way of doing it. Ukraine has all the troops, willing troops that they need, but they need uh, uh, offensive arms. And the main source of offensive arms now is the United States. And it's important that uh, Ukraine receives these arms fast, so that uh, Ukraine can now attack while um, while uh, uh, Russia is uh, soft, that uh, that they have lost so much equipment and uh, so, so many soldiers, and they have not managed to regroup uh, properly. Therefore, it's very harmful that various forces here in Washington are trying to slow down the U.S. delivery of arms. This will cost more uh, lives and it will delay the war uh, and uh, it will be very harmful. And these are partly people, uh, or mainly people in the National Security Council. Jake uh, Sullivan is uh, seen as the force that is all the time trying to slow down. By Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken is uh, seen as a person who pushes uh, for more. And of course, the U.S. Congress, by and large, pushes for more and faster, with the important exception of Senator Rand Paul, who uh, very implausibly uh, claimed that there must be more uh, supervision uh, over the Ukrainian uh, arms uh, deliveries in order to uh, make them happen. This was clearly just in order to uh, to slow it down. Remember that uh, Senator Rand Paul was one of only two senators who voted against the CATSA, uh, the combating uh, American uh, adversaries uh, through Sanctions Act of uh, 
uh, August uh, 2017, and uh, President Trump sent him with a letter to President Putin in the summer of uh, 2018. Clearly, uh, uh, Senator Paul is more on Putin's side than on the US side. Well, that was made clear in testimony when he was questioning uh, Anthony Blinken. He was he was repeating Putin's talking points around Paul. So, but what worries me, I think your point's well taken. If Putin, whatever Putin, territory of Ukraine Putin controls, first of all, he would never accept, uh, he maybe accept a ceasefire, an armistice, but he would never accept a peace deal. If he did, it would be worthless at any rate. So his motive or his strategy has always been to destabilize and weaken the country. So they have to have an all-out victory, and that's not easy. But what I think Putin is banking on is all of his enablers. You've got spoilers. For example, Turkey is a potential spoiler for Sweden joining, and Finland joining NATO for specious reasons about Kurdish dissidents being accepted in these Scandinavian countries. And, and, of course, Erdogan is supposedly brokering a peace deal, which is a complete farce. Erdogan and Putin are exactly the li- alike. They're both kleptocrats. In fact, Erdogan has seen the war in Ukraine as a sudden opportunity for him to increase Russian tourism. All of the Russian oligarchs are parking their money and their yachts, their super yachts, in Turkish ports. The same is happening the Gulf with uh, Mohammed bin Zayed and the, and the Emiratis and laundering Russian money and parking oligarchs' wealth, which, of course, a lot of it is actually Putin's wealth. And then you've got Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince, uh, working with Putin in uh, OPEC too. So I think that isn't that their strategy? They're sort of going to, they're sitting on massive oil wealth now because of the price of oil. Are uh, they going to recycle this money back into U.S. politics to try and have Trump come back in 2024? That seems to me to be Putin's strategy, and he has allies. He has enablers like Orban, Erdogan, MBZ, and MBS. Yeah, but, but your, one point of your analysis is it's so transparent. You and I and many others uh, uh, can all all see what is going on, and therefore now uh, I don't think that they are likely to succeed. Uh, something big that has happened in the last few years, or rather a process that has started in the last few years, is uh, much greater corporate transparency. And now we have seen lots of Russian assets being uh, frozen because we know where they are all of a sudden. There's a great knowledge about who owns what, and this will greatly develop in the next couple of years. And you rightly mentioned Dubai. Uh, All the Russians, uh, rich Russians, are now running to Dubai, because that's one of the few places where you can be uh, if you are a suspicious character. And there are a couple of other places, uh, but uh, they are really under a a, a lot of uh, surveillance uh, as it is. And I don't think that Dubai can uh, hold it up. Uh, And also turning to Turkey, on the one hand, it is uh, heading towards 70% inflation. And uh, that is not good for uh, any leader who has to be... uh, approved by a popular vote, even if it's not quite democratic. And also Turkey has delivered this Bayraktar, very effective 
uh, drones, killing drones uh, to Ukraine. So Turkey is playing a bit of both sides. Also, Turkey has closed the Bosphorus for Russian naval ships. So uh, I would say that Erdogan's role in the war is a bit more mixed. While I would not stand up for his um, virtues when it comes to uh, business uh, practices and even less when it comes to uh, economic uh, policy where he has driven uh, a very high uh, inflation. But uh, it's not a nice time to be a Russian oligarch. So just in closing then, Anders Aslan, you argue in your article at the Atlantic Council, Western advocates of appeasement need a crash course in Putinology that people like Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, often declare the West must avoid painting Putin into a corner. Similarly, they warn against destabilizing Russia, but it's an entirely rational to position Putin as the source of stability when he is clearly the main destabilizing factor in both Europe and Russia itself. So that summarizes the illogic of our position, but that also depends upon the notion that somehow Putin is going to go away. Yeah, but uh, you get it perfectly right here. Uh, You have to stand up to a bully, and a bully does not go away. Uh, You have to deter him, and you need to threaten him and uh, you must not be softer but tougher uh, than he is. And uh, it's very much these uh, sweet uh, intellectuals uh, who have never been abroad uh, in Washington who don't understand this, that this is how the world uh, uh, works, uh, and this is what must be understood. Well, Anders Aston, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you very much, Ian. It's always a great pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you, Anderson. Again, I've been speaking with Anders Aslan, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Centre for Eurasian, Russian and East European Studies at Georgetown University, and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, a member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. He worked as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and served as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia, Kyrgyzstan and Ukraine. And his books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It, and Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters, and I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon. And to help us sustain this program into the future and assure it remains free to all, please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org donate or publictruthmedia.org where you will find our non-profit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. And if you missed any of today's program and would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org, where we'll include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles, and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also encourage your ratings and reviews on these platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian Masters Media. And please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family and colleagues. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing at backgroundbriefing.org. Bye for now. Disappeared by half past nine. Ooh.
I'm not afraid to 